0: Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, hello, everyone. This is Kennard Brown. (coughs) Excuse me. Hello, everyone. (laughs) This is Kennard Brown speaking. I'm your host for the Merciful Servants of God. Biblical Instructional Program today is May 6, 2011. Happy Shabbat for those who keep the Sabbath. And for those who don't, well, uh, maybe this will be... An orientation toward you doing it anyway, first of all, I want to talk about Osama bin Laden. I know you've heard about him being uh killed, and uh, there's some people thinking that he may have been dead already nine years ago, and this was an opportunity or an opportune time for the President to bring this out in light of uh, them investigating whether or not he's a natural born citizen or not and so forth but Those are conspiracy theories. Um, The fact is is that this man is dead. And what I want to do is go over the fact that God does not take pleasure in his death. I know that may be surprising to you, but uh, I can prove this to you. If you look in your King James Version Bibles, let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 18. Ezekiel chapter 18. Starting in verse 23 says, have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and that he should return from his ways and live. So even somebody like Osama bin Laden, God states that he does not take any pleasure at all at his death, and we shouldn't. Here we are. As soon as uh, President Obama announced that he died, you had people celebrating at the White House. You had people all over the world jumping up and down. I mean, that that's something that God would not do, folks. I mean, God, he created man, and he wants every human being to live,
1: and he wants every human
0: being to uh, return from his evil ways and, and, and live, and he desired so much for Osama bin Laden and for all other wicked people that have ever lived, and are living, to live and to repent. It doesn't look like he did. So that, that's not something that God should feel good about, and neither should we. So we need to, to cut this attitude, jumping up and down, because somebody died. I mean, that that's something that we, if we do have that attitude, we should repent. Now, what we should be jumping up and down is that the evil has gone. You know, we should jump up and down about that, that, with Osama bin Laden dead, it will decrease the amount of, uh, hopefully anyway, will decrease the amount of uh, terrorist activities that will be caused. That's something we should be jumping up and down about. But not the fact that this man is dead. It's sad. It's a sad day for anyone to die. Right now, as I'm speaking, 26,000 children are going to die because they don't have any food or clothes. Should we be up and jumping up and down for that? No, of course not. Uh, and I know it's hard, but we have to follow our Father's example in heaven. And God, neither would Jesus uh, be dancing up and down because Osama bin Laden is dead. Although they'll probably be jumping up and down because his evil, the evil that he committed, um, will uh, actually has ended. His evil coming from him. Yeah, that's what they jump up and down in. But, but not the fact that he's dead. All right. And Ezekiel chapter eighteen, verse thirty-two states this. It says, "For." I have no pleasure in the death of him that dies, and neither should we, folks, said the Lord God, where turn yourself and live." So I just thought I would bring that out uh, if if you weren't taught the proper attitude about anyone dying, whether they're wicked or righteous. It's easy for us to mourn for the righteous, but we should mourn and, and feel bad about the wicked. David did when Saul died. He didn't jump up and down about that. He felt bad about it. So, you know, if you don't believe me, study the account. Study study when uh, David heard that Saul died. He didn't jump up and down about that, and neither should we. All right, so anyway, the Torah section today is called Emor. Um, it means speak. So this section uh, of, of the Torah is called speak, and it begins with the special laws pertaining to the Kohanim, which are the priests, and the Kohen Godot, the high priest in the temple service. A cohen may not become ritually impure through contact with a dead body save on the occasion of the death of a close relative. A cohen or priest may not marry a divorcee or a woman with a promiscuous past. A cohen Godot can marry only a virgin. A cohen with a physical deformity cannot serve in the holy temple, nor can a deformed animal be bought as an offering. A newborn calf, lamb, or kid must be left with his mother for seven days before being eligible for an offering. And one may not slaughter an animal and his offspring on the same day. Now, the second part of Imor, or speak, lists the annual callings of holiness or the festivals of, it says here, Jewish calendar, but of the calendar of God, because everyone can celebrate God's laws it's not just or festivals, it's not just for the Jews. Uh, the weekly Shabbat, the bringing of the Passover offering on Nisan 14, the seven-day Passover festival beginning on Nisan 15, uh, the beginning of the Omer offering from the first barley harvest on the second day of Passover. That's, j- traditionally, the Jews have done that, but biblically it should be done on the first Sunday during the uh, festival of uh, Unleavened Bread. And it says and in the commencement on that day, on the 49th day, Uh, counting of the Omer, culminating in the festival of Shavuot on the 15th day, a remembrance of shofar blowing, that's a trumpet, on Tishri 1, a solemn fast day on Tishri 10, which is uh, the Day of Atonement. Tishri 1 is the Feast of Trumpets. And then uh, the Sukkot Festival, which is the Feast of Tabernacles, during which uh, we are to dwell in huts for seven days and take the four kinds beginning on the 15th of Tishri and immediately following holiday of the eighth day of Shemini azarets All right, so those are all the, I'm going to go over that in a little more detail, all the holy days uh, that are listed in Leviticus chapter 23 that Jesus kept and his disciples kept and he expects us to keep uh, to the best of our ability. It uh, says next, the Torah discusses the lighting of the menorah in the temple, the menorah is talked about in the first chapter of um, Revelation, the last book of the Bible, and the showbread, the Lakam Hapenem, placed weekly on the table there. Speak, or and more, concludes with the incident of a man executed for blasphemy and the penalties for murder, death, and for injuring one's fellow or destroying his property. Monetary compensation from, this is a uh, I got this from Chabad. It's a nice summary of what we're going to get into here uh, in the um, what is called the Old Testament here in America, but it should be called the Tanakh, the, the, the Scriptures. Um, Chabad is c h a b as in boy, a d as in dog. dot org. All right. So the Torah section we're going to go over here today is Leviticus chapter in the Torah. Uh, based on Jewish tradition, is the first five books of the Bible: Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Uh, numbers in Deuteronomy. Uh, Tor also means the teachings and doctrines of God and the law of God. Uh, Leviticus chapter 21, starting in verse 1, to Leviticus chapter 24, verse 23. We'll go ahead and read this here. Um, I'll read it in the King James. Leviticus chapter 21. Beginning in verse 1, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say unto them, There shall be none be defiled for the dead among his people, but for his kin that is near unto him, that is, for his mother, and for his father, and for his son, and for his daughter, and for his brother, and for his sister, a virgin that is near unto him, which have had no husband for her, may he be defiled. But he shall not defile himself, being a chief man among his people, to profane himself. They shall not make baldness upon their head, neither shall they shave off the corner of their beard, nor make any cuttings in their flesh. They shall be holy unto, the, uh, unto their God, and not profane the name of their God. For the offerings of the Lord made by fire, and the bread of their God, they do offer. They shall They shall be holy. They shall not take a wife that is a whore or profane, neither shall they take a woman put away from her husband, for he is holy unto the Lord. Thou shalt sanctify him, therefore, for he offereth the bread of thy God. He shall be holy unto thee, for I am the Lord, which sanctify you, and holy. Holy means to to, uh, set apart. Verse 9, And the daughter of any priest, if she profane herself by playing a whore, she profane of her father, and she shall shall be burnt with fire. And he that is uh, the high priest among his brethren, upon whose head the anointing oil was poured, and that is consecrated, to put on the garments shall not uncover his head nor render his clothes. Rend his clothes. Neither shall he go in to any dead body, nor defile himself for his father or for his mother, neither shall he go out of the sanctuary, nor profane the sanctuary uh, of his God, for the crown of the anointing oil of his God is upon him. I am the Lord. And he shall take a wife in her virginity. A widow or a divorced woman or profane or harlot, These shall he not take, but he shall take a virgin of his own people to wife. Neither shall he profane his seed among his people, for I, the Lord, do sanctify him. And the Lord spoke spoken to Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron, saying, Whosoever he be of thy seed in their generations that have any blemish, let him not approach to offer the bread of his God. For whatsoever man he be that have a blemish, he shall not approach a blind man or a lame, or he that have a flat nose or anything, Superfluous, or man that is broken footed or broken handed or crook back or dwarf, or, or that have a blemish in his eye, or scurvy, or scab, or have his stones broken, which means <laughs> for men your testicles broken. Verse 21 No man that have a blemish of the seed of Aaron, the priest, shall come near to offer the offerings of the Lord made by fire. He have a blemish, he shall not come near to offer the bread of his God. He shall eat the bread of his God, both of the most holy and of the the holy. Only he shall not go into the veil. The veil is talked about the veil that's between the holy place and the most holy place. The most holy place has the Ark of the Covenant, and it really represents the throne room of God. Okay, verse 23, only he shall not go into the veil, nor come near unto the altar, because he have a blemish that he profane not my sanctuaries, for I, the Lord, do sanctify them. Verse 24, and Moses told it unto Aaron and to his sons and to all the children of Israel. Leviticus chapter 22.
1: And the Lord spoke
0: unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and to his sons, that they separate themselves from the holy things of the children of Israel, and that they profane not my holy name in those things which they hallow unto me. I am the Lord. Say unto them, Whosoever he be of your seed among your generations that goeth unto the holy things, which the children of Israel hallow unto the Lord, having his uncleanness upon him, that shall, shall be cut off from my presence. I am the Lord. What man soever of the seed of Aaron is a leper, or have a running issue, he shall not eat of the holy things which he be clean, until he be clean. And whosoever touch of anything that is unclean by the dead, or a man whose seed goeth from him. Or whatsoever touch of any creeping thing whereby he may be made unclean or a man of whom he may take uncleanness, whatever uncleanness he have. The soul which hath touched any such shall be unclean until even and shall not eat of the holy things unless he wash his flesh with water. And when the sun is down, he shall be clean and shall afterward eat of the holy things because it is his food. That which dieth of itself or is torn with beasts, he shall not eat to defile himself thereof. I am the Lord. They shall therefore keep my ordinance, that not they bear sin for it, and die therefore if they profane it. I, the Lord, do sanctify them. There shall be no stranger eat of the holy thing. A stranger of the priest or a higher servant shall not eat of the holy thing. But if the priest buy any soul with his money, he shall eat of it. and that, And he that is born of his house, they shall eat of his meat or food. Verse 12, if the priest's daughter also be married to a stranger, she may not eat of an offering of the holy things. But if the priest's daughter be a widow or divorced and have no children, and is returning to her father's house as in her youth, she shall eat of her father's meat. But there there shall no stranger eat thereof. And if a man eat of the holy thing unwittingly, then he shall put the fifth part thereof into it, and shall give it unto the priest with the holy thing. And they shall not profane the holy things of the children of Israel which they offer unto the Lord or suffer or allow them to bear the iniquity of trespass when they eat their their holy things. For I, the Lord, do sanctify them. Verse 17 of Leviticus chapter 22. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, or spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and to his sons and to all the children of Israel, and say unto them, Whosoever he be of the house of Israel or of the strangers in Israel, that will offer his oblation for all his vows and for all his freewill offerings, which they will offer unto the Lord for a burnt offering. You shall offer at your own with a male without blemish of the bees, of the sheep, or the goats. But whosoever have a blemish, you shall not offer, for it shall not be acceptable for you. And whosoever offer for sacrifice of peace offerings unto the Lord to accomplish his vow, or a free will offering in the bees or sheep, it shall be perfect to be accepted. There shall be no blemish thereof. Blind or broken or maimed or having a wind or scurvy or scab, you shall not offer these unto the Lord. Nor make an offering by fire of them upon the altar unto the Lord, either a bullock or a lamb that have anything superfluous or lacking in its parts, that may may as uh, thou offer for a freewill offering, but for a vow it shall not be accepted. You shall not offer unto the Lord that which is bruised or crushed or broken or cut, neither shall you offer any offering in your land. Now keep in mind that he's talking about offerings, and offerings is symbolic of helping people today. And, and praying and giving. And so when we give to someone, we should do give the best we can. When we pray to God, we should pray the best we can. Let's hold your place here and turn to Hebrews chapter 13. God, one of the reasons why he instituted the, uh, the offerings and the sacrifices is to show mankind how to give. Hebrews chapter 13. Verse 15, Hebrews 13, verse 15. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Verse 16, but to do good and to communicate, that word communicate in the Greek means to share, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. So when we share, we shouldn't give somebody the worst of what we have. We should give them the best, and that's what this is talking about here. In Leviticus chapter 22, God does not want us to give an offering that's defiled or not the best. All right, so in Leviticus 22, verse 24, you shall not offer unto the Lord that which is bruised or crushed or broken or cut, neither shall you make any offering there in your land. Verse 25, neither from a stranger's hand shall you offer the bread of your God of any of these, because... Their corruption is in them, and blemishes be in them. They shall not be accepted for you. Verse 26, And the Lord has spoken to Moses, saying, When a bullock or a sheep or a goat is brought forth, then it shall be seven days under the dam. And from the eighth day and henceforth it shall be accepted for an offering made by fire unto the Lord. And whether it be cow or all, you shall not kill it, and her youth, both in one day. And when you will offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving unto the Lord, offer it at your own will. On the same day it shall be eaten up, you shall leave none of it until morrow. That means in, uh, the next day in the morning. I am the Lord. So, you know, when God says he's the Lord, that means you better pay attention to what he's talking about. Verse 31, Therefore you shall keep my commandments. I don't know how many times he says this throughout the Bible. And do them, I am the Lord. Verse 32, neither shall you profane my holy name. In other words, give him a bad name. If if you say that you, and this is taking his name in vain, by the way, if you say you're a believer in God and yet you show through your actions you're not, you are uh, breaking the third commandment, you you are not uh, uh, honoring the Lord and, and using his name in vain. Because when you represent someone's name, you... You uh, represent uh, their name through your actions and what you do. People are going to go by what you do, not what you say. Or they should, anyway. Uh, Verse 32, neither shall you profane my holy name, but I will be hallowed among the children of Israel. I am the Lord, which hallow you. Verse 33, that brought you out of the land of Egypt, which which is symbolic of the entire world, to be your God. I am the Lord. Now, now the festivals. And I know anyone that's listening to me may not even know what these festivals are, but these are festivals that Jesus, our Lord and Savior, kept, and he expects us to keep them the best that we can in spirit and in truth today. Leviticus chapter 23. Now notice it doesn't say the Jews' feasts here. It says these are the feasts of the Lord. Uh, Leviticus 23, verse 1. The Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel and Let me explain this again. Uh, The children of Israel is not just the the Jews. uh, It also consists of other tribes. The Jews are from the tribe of Judah. In Genesis chapter 49, it explains that the children of Israel consist of 12 tribes. Uh, Many historians believe today that the 10 tribes of Israel are lost. They're not lost. They're found, folks, the people who know the truth. If you want more detail about that, go to Yair Davidi's website. He is an Orthodox Jew that resides in Jerusalem. Uh, It's www.beazambor.com. B as in boy, R I T A M dot org as in boy, R-I-T-A-M as in mother, .org to find out the truth about who the tribes of Israel are. The tribes of Israel, believe it or not, consist of the United States today, Canada, New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, the countries in northwestern Europe like Britain and Sweden, Switzerland, etc., the Dutch, the Netherlands. Those are geographically part of the Ten Tribes of Israel. Again, for proof of that, go to Um Also, but any any person around the world who considers himself a believer of our Jewish Messiah is automatically grafted into The tribes of Israel, according to the scriptures in Ephesians chapter 2, if you want to study that. So, when you see the phrase, children of Israel, don't think, oh, it's just talking about the Jews. No, it's talking about any believer that believes in Yeshua, the Jewish Messiah, the King of Israel. If he's the King of Israel, then he's a part of Israel. He's a Jew. All right? And I'm going to prove to you today that believers should be thinking like Jews. Why? Because our Savior is a Jew, and he commands us to have his mind. To have someone's mind means you think like them and act like them. These are all scriptures that perhaps your minister skips over every Sunday. But, you know, I'm not going to skip over them. I'm going to prove to you out of the scriptures. You know, we're not commanded to be a Jew, but we are commanded to think like one. Why? Because our Lord and Savior is a Jew. Does that make sense? All right. All right. So Leviticus chapter twenty-three, um, verse two, speaking to the. And then also a good scripture to refer to when I talk about this uh, about United States and so forth being a part of Israel. Turn to First Corinthians chapter ten. It explains that all the things will happen for our examples. Okay, and it goes into detail about that as well. Verse 2. Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, concerning the feast of the Lord, not the feast of the Jews, the feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations or assemblies, even these are my feasts. So these aren't the Jews' feasts, these are his feasts. Verse 3. Six days shall work be done. This is interesting. His first commandment out of all of this tells us the work. In verse 3, it says, Six days shall work be done. A day is 12 hours. So that means you take care of whatever you need to take care of in 12 hours during the day to survive. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest, a holy assembly. You shall not do no work therein. And the work that he's talking about is work for profit, primarily, and your other work that you do, studying to, to make more money, um... I wouldn't consider this work, but it's relaxation, looking at television, looking at basketball games and football. uh, Your your daily usual duties or or things that you do, you have to stop on the Shabbat, okay? Isaiah chapter 58, let's, let's turn there. Isaiah chapter 58 gives us a definition of how we should keep the Sabbath, folks. Isaiah 58 verse 13. If you want a little blueprint on how to keep the Shabbat, it tells you here. God do the prophet Isaiah tells you. Isaiah chapter 58 verse 13. If you turn away thy foot from the Sabbath from doing your own pleasure on my holy day. So we should be doing our pleasure. Looking at basketball thing it has nothing to do with God, folks. Looking at a basketball game, football game, tennis. That's Your pleasure is not God's pleasure. (laughs) Okay. Um, And call the Sabbath a delight. The holy of the Lord. Honorable and shall honor Him. Not doing your own ways. Nor finding your own pleasure. Nor speaking your own words. So on this day, your pleasure should be God's pleasure. If you go to the Creation Museum. The Creation Museum is focused on God. And, and what, and how God created the universe. There's nothing wrong with going to the Creation Museum on a Shabbat, as long as you don't pay for it on a Shabbat. Uh, There's nothing wrong with that. So your pleasure should be focused on what God would like on the Shabbat. And you should be focused all the time on that, of course, but especially on the Shabbat. All right? And it says you should call it a delight. It should be a day where you're jumping up for joy, not sleeping all day in the bed, uh, it, it, unless you're totally exhausted from working. And if you are, and what God has taught me recently, you shouldn't be that exhausted during the week. You should be able to rest a little more on the Sabbath, but the rest of the day is not just to go to sleep all day. It's, it's, to, it's to delight in the day. Um, Jesus, his one of his uh, customs was to go into the synagogue on the Shabbat, Uh, the Jewish synagogues at that time, and to preach. So it's a day to do extra Bible study and and to focus on your Creator and and, and appreciate the fact that He did create the universe and that He created you. Um, That's how you honor Him, honor and and show. Honor Him, not doing their own ways nor finding their own pleasure nor speaking your own words, meaning your words should be focused on God and it should always point to God on this day. Verse 14, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord and I will cause you to ride upon the high places of the earth and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. So how you treat the Sabbath day, folks, if God has revealed this and, you know, he's revealing it to you today through me, if you're listening to me. <laughs> the Sabbath is on Saturday. It's the seventh day of the week. Look it up in your dictionary. It's the seventh day of the week and If you're listening to me and you're not working and you're working on the Shabbat on Saturday, then you're not keeping the Sabbath. And God commands us to keep the Sabbath day. And I just showed you how we keep it. We don't work, we don't do our usual things that we do during the week on this day. All right, let's turn back to Leviticus chapter twenty three. And then there's blessings on on how you keep the Sabbath. He said he's going to bless you if you keep the Sabbath. So that should motivate you to do it. On the high places of the earth, that's what he said. High places of the earth. Leviticus chapter 23. So your, your attitude your attitude, and how you keep the Sabbath will determine whether or not also how how much you'll be blessed. Because if you treat the Sabbath as a sleep day or just, you know, I don't want to study and just sleep all day. I mean, God's not going to be very impressed by that. All right, Leviticus chapter 23. Where are we at here? Okay. So verse 3, six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Shabbat of rest, a holy assembly. You shall do no work therein. It is the Shabbat of the Lord in all your dwellings. So wherever you dwell, wherever you dwell, and people say, well, that's back in the Old Testament. Well, what does he say here? He says, in all of your dwellings. So in all over the world, God expects us to keep this day. Verse 4. Now, he talks about the importance of the Shabbat. And following now, he talks about the rest of the holy days, which are are not on Saturday in most cases, but they're on other days. But it's like a Shabbat because you, you don't work for profit on these days, on these holy days. All right. These are the feasts of the Lord, not the Jews, the Lord. Even holy convocations or assemblies, which you shall proclaim in all their seasons. So this should be a, a continuous thing throughout the history of civilization that we should proclaim in their seasons. Verse 5, In the fourteenth day of the first month at evening, a day, biblically reckoning, uh, according to the biblical record or reckoning, begins in the evening. Not the way the pagan Roman calendar has it today, where the day begins at midnight. Verse 5, In the fourteenth day of the first month at even is the Lord's Passover. And on the fifteenth day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And to the Lord, seven days you must eat unleavened bread. Verse 7, In the first day you shall have a holy convocation assembly. You shall do no servile work therein. This is, uh, you, you have the Passover and then you have unleavened bread. And and you eat unleavened bread. Unleavened bread is symbolic of not having sin in your lives. Okay? In the first day you shall have a holy assembly. You shall do no servile work, therein. But you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord seven days. So during these days we should be giving to one another. We should be. We should be giving. God wants you to give to him during these days. And the seventh day, when you give to God, you can give to God by giving to other people as well, as we revealed in Matthew chapter twenty five. And the seventh day is an holy convocation, you shall do no servile work. So the first and seventh day during the festival and loving bread are holy convocations, like a Sabbath, where you do not work. Verse nine, and the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and saying unto them, When you come into the land which I give unto you and shall reap the harvest thereof, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest. Now let me explain something. The spring holy days represent Christ's first coming. He came as the Passover lamb. He sacrificed himself for all of mankind. He represents the unleavened bread that we must eat. Remember he stated that uh you must eat my flesh. Well, when you eat the unleavened bread, you really in the sense of eating his flesh. It's symbolic of eating him. Not literally, but symbolically. Okay? And and then, of course, the festival of uh, first fruits represents his resurrection. And then we count those days till Pentecost, or Shavuot, or Shavuot which was, represents the giving of the Holy Spirit to the apostles. And then, prior to that, it represents. God given the Ten Commandments to the entire nation of Israel. Okay, so the first the Passover, the first and last day of unleavened bread, first fruits, and Pentecost. First fruits is not a holy convocation, but it's still a day we should observe. Um uh, I think more often than not, I have to check on this. The first fruits do fall on Easter, you know, so I have to check on that and see if that happens all the time. But I know it does sometimes. But anyway, um, the first, the spring holy days represent the the work of the Messiah at his first coming. That's what I'm trying to explain. Now, you have this gap. This gap represents the 2,000 years or so where the Messiah is not on the earth. And verse 10. Speaking to the children of Israel, and saying to them, When you come into the land which I have given to you, and shall reap the harvest there, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest. He shall wave the sheep before the Lord to be accepted before you on the morrow after the Sabbath. And it means exactly after the Sabbath. And I know Jews have debated whether or not this is talking about the the second day of the festival of unleavened bread. But it's pretty clear based on the context of Scripture here, and based on my extensive studies uh and using the JPS commentary. And other commentaries of Jews that they even admit that this is talking about what is saying that uh, this is uh, on the morrow after the Sabbath the priest shall wave it and you shall offer that day when you wave the sheaf a he lamb without blemish of the first year for a burnt offering unto the Lord and the meat offering thereof shall be two deals of a fine flour mingled with oil an offering made by fire unto the Lord for a sweet savour and the drink offering. There should be of wine the fourth part of it. Now, this is interesting. It's talking about the bread and wine and what the Last Supper, what was that? What did that consist of? Bread and wine, right? Verse 14 You shall eat neither bread nor parched corn nor green ears until the self same day that you have bought an offering unto the Lord. It shall be a statue forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. So, this is the day of first fruits. It's somewhat, it's a festival, but it's not what I would say a holy day where you don't work. And it should be kept and, and acknowledged. Verse 15, and it represents the resurrection of Jesus. Because he is one of the first fruits, the first fruits of many, the first of the first fruits. Verse 15, the first of the resurrected. And you shall count unto you from the morrow after the Shabbat, which is Sunday, from the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Shabbats shall be complete. Even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath on a Sunday shall you number fifty days. And you shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. You shall bring out of your habitations two wave loaves of two tenth deals. They shall be of fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits unto the Lord. And you shall offer the bread seven lambs without blemish of the first year, and one young bullock and two rams. They shall be for a burnt offering unto the Lord with their meat offering and their drink offerings, even an offering made by fire. Made by fire. Where, where am I at here? Of oh, sweet savouring unto the Lord. Then you shall sacrifice one kid of the goats for a sin offering and two lambs of the first year for a sacrifice of peace offerings. It's a lot of sim- symbolism in here, and I'm going to do a Bible study on this in the future. But for, anyway, verse 20, And the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits for a wave offering before the Lord and with the two lambs, and they shall be holy to the Lord for the priests. And you shall proclaim on this selfsame day that it may be a holy convocation. Until you, you shall do no servile work therein. That that's on the, uh, the festival of Shavuot or Pentecost. It, it should be a statue forever in your, all your dwellings, all your dwellings wherever you at, throughout your generations. Now this is what this is the gap of two thousand years here. I I still did not realize that we needed to read uh, about first fruits and uh, Pentecost. Anyway, verse twenty two. Now so this. After this verse, verse 21, we and we have this uh, intermission here, okay? And it's really symbolic, too, of 2,000 years or more because the Messiah has not come back yet, right? So anyway, when you have the festivals, you have the spring and then you have the fall. So there's a gap in between that. That gap is symbolic of his first coming and his second coming. His first coming consists of the the work of the messiah's first coming consists of the the spring festivals the work of the messiah the second coming consists of the fall festivals okay now hold your place here I want to describe the significance of the first fruits here It's symbolic of the resurrection I'm going to show this to you here first Corinthians chapter fifteen. Okay, so in verse first Corinthians chapter fifteen, verse twenty. 1 Corinthians fifteen verse twenty. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. So that proves to you that the first fruits offerings are, are symbolic of the resurrection. Verse twenty for since by man came death, by man also the resurrection of the dead. Verse 22, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. For every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits. Afterward, they that are Christ at his coming. So uh, Christ is not the first firstfruits. Christ and then you have the other firstfruits, us, being resurrected. And the firstfruits are those who get it in this life that understand they must obey God and keep the holy days to the best of their ability, or if God hasn't revealed that to them, then they do whatever they possibly can do based on what God has revealed to them. Those are the first fruits. Those are the people that do the best they can to obey God with what God has given them. They will be resurrected during the first resurrection. Okay. That's what the day of first fruits represents. Or symbolic of. Anyway, uh, Leviticus 23, verse 22. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not make clean riddance of the corners of thy field. When you reap, neither shall thou gather any gleaning of thy harvest. You shall lead them unto the poor and to the stranger. I am the Lord your God. So this, this verse is symbolic of the work of God. We should be giving the people. We should be um, doing all we can to reach out to people uh, like I'm doing right now. This is all I can do is preach on blog talk radio. Um, and eventually I'm, I'm hoping to get some, some monies here so I could do more than what I'm doing and and uh, advertise over the Internet so more people, do some social media advertising, um, certain techniques where I could advertise my website. I have to optimize my website. I have to have the time to do that, but I plan on doing all that to be able to reach as many people as possible. That's my way of giving, giving uh, without expecting anything back. Like Paul said, I, I wish to preach the gospel at no charge and he said to follow his example because he followed christ's example so i'm going to do the same thing so um that's that's what i plan on doing and that's symbolic here of verse 22 of course it means literally uh to reap the harvest but it also means symbolically to reap the harvest as well and to to reach as many people as possible the poor and the stranger with god's word verse 23 and the lord Spoken to Moses, saying, and you have this gap between the spring festivals, which again represents the work of the Messiah at his first coming. The you have this gap after he's he's sent to heaven. What did Christ say when he when he got resurrected? When he was um, when he went into the uh, let me me, uh, read this to you here, Matthew chapter twenty three. Not Matthew twenty three, the last chapter, Matthew twenty eight. He gave us a commandment, and that commandment is this, in Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, immersing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all things, not some things, all things, whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Okay, so that's the commandment that he told us to do, and that's what's symbolic of Leviticus chapter 23, verse 22 as well. All right, so Leviticus, let's go back to Leviticus chapter 23. Verse 22, 23 rather. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel in the seventh month, and the first day of the month, you shall have a Shabbat, a memorial, of blowing of trumpets, in a holy convocation. Now, this is, represents uh, the festival of tabernacles. It says, uh, you shall do no servile work therein, but you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. All right, so let's understand what this is called, the festival of trumpets. And you turn in the book of Revelation, that's what the Festival of Trumpets is talking about here. It's talking about the, uh, remember, there's there's three elements of the end-time prophecy that you have to focus on. You have seals, you have trumpets, and you have plagues. The Festival of Trumpets is talking about the seven trumpets. That's revealed in Revelation chapter 8. Chapter 8, Shrey. Listen to the teacher. Revelation chapter 8 Talks about And then chapter 9 Talks about all the trumpets And chapter 11 Talks about all the trumpets Of God The trumpet judgments. So that's what the festival of trumpets is all about If you ever wondered about that Revelation chapter 8, 9, and 11 Talks about all the trumpets So Um it's a day of celebration, but it's also a day of reflection it's a time of war uh, that's gonna come upon this earth that's gonna lead into the um the second coming of yeshua messiah the messiah the messiah rather so that that's what it's gonna lead to also the seventh trump uh un- this is very different than what the rapture theory and this this uh I'm not going to call him a name like Michael Rude is calling him, but uh, I'm going to state the fact that he is not teaching correctly about the rapture. There is a rapture. Rapture means you're taken up. But is at the 7th Trump. is not before the 7th Trump. That is easily revealed in the Bible. And uh, in Revelation chapter 11 states that plainly, that the 7th Trump is the time of the dead. The time... Of the dead. So, why would the Bible say it's the time of the dead unless that's the time when the dead are resurrected? And remember, the dead are going to be resurrected first, and then those who are alive are going to be taken up or raptured. And at the seven trumpets, if that's the time of the dead, well, let's look at that here real quick. Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11, starting in verse 15. And the seven angels sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world, and i am tell you, I'm looking forward to hearing this, trumpeted worldwide. <laughs> the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And I know you may be wondering, well, why is God saying that the kingdoms at this time um, become the kingdoms of our Lord and Christ? I thought they already were. Well, in a sense they are, folks, but right now God has allowed the devil, the devil, to rule this earth. That's the reason why he's saying that. Of course, he has certain restraints, but if you look at all the wickedness that goes on in this world every day, is there any doubt that the devil rules this world? Because I guarantee you, if God totally ruled this world, we wouldn't have any wickedness. And if there was wickedness, it would be exterminated quickly. Um, Revelation chapter 11. Verse 16, and the 24 elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshiped God. Verse 17, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and was and art to come, because you have taken to thee thy great power and has reigned. And the nations were angry. They weren't jumping up and down. That tells you something wrong with this world, folks. The nations were angry? You would think at a time like this, well, it announces that God is going to come and rule the world and bring peace. That people will be jumping up and down and having fun. No. It says the nations were angry. So I should tell you something wrong with this world, folks. For the nations to be angry. And that's a lot of people. To be angry at God coming back in, in the form of Yeshua Messiah. The Word of God. And thy wrath has come. And that wrath is referring to the seven last plagues for folks, not the trumpets, and the time of the dead this is the time of the dead, folks. Hold your place here, and let's turn to First Corinthians chapter fifteen. I don't care what these raptures there is tell you about a rapture happening before the seven trump before the tribulation. It's not going to happen, and I tell you these. May 21st, people, this guy that's preaching that the, the rapture is going to happen then, it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna, to, I can say, thus says the Lord about this, because there's nowhere in the Bible that says that anyone's going to be raptured before the tribulation. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. One of the most famous scriptures, passages of scriptures quoted, but I don't think people realize what they are quoting or what it's saying here. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So you know what that's saying? That you can't be a human being and be in God's kingdom. Because that's what we are, right? Flesh and blood. Neither does corruption inherit incorruption. Verse 51. Behold, I show you A mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Uh, We have to be changed to inherit the spiritual kingdom of God, folks. Verse 52, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. Now, I'm, I'm sure you understand arithmetic. You have one trump. You have one trumpet, two trumpets, three, four, five, six, seven. And Revelation 11 says, at the seventh trump. That is the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Verse 53, for this corruption must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Oh, I apologize on behalf of the Pope. The Pope preaches that we already have immortality, that our souls, our lives are already immortal. Well, God disagrees with the Pope and anyone else that believes that. Because he states here in verse 53, For this corruptible must put on incorruption, which means we don't have incorruption right now anywhere other than our spirit that gives us the power of intellect. But the spirit needs to be in an an incorruptible body. And that's what he's talking about here. And this mortal must put on immortality. Verse 54. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. That is the issue here. The gospel of the kingdom of God is simply a gospel or good news. That's what gospel means in its original Greek. It means the good news that we can all become immortal. We can all live forever. That's the message of the gospel that because of what Adam did, brought sin into the world and into the universe and death. To the universe that through the sacrifice of the last Adam Yeshua Messiah the Messiah that we all have an opportunity to gain or obtain immortality it is a gift It's something none of us have earned but because of the sacrifice of Yeshua Messiah we all have an open door now it's not closed an open door toward immortality that's the simplest way that I can explain the gospel, and God used the apostle Shaul or Paul to, to to describe what the gospel is in this entire chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And he also explains the plan of God. So if you ever wonder, why was I born? Just read 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It will tell you. It will tell you. In a simple way. Revelation chapter 11. So, we know that that the, you understand what the time of the dead is. This is the time of the dead when the dead are resurrected. Okay? And it states also here, I have to go to that other scripture too. It talks about, um, I think in the first Thessalonians, about the resurrection. Oh, uh, first Thessalonians chapter four. beginning in verse 15 I'm just trying to break this event down the festival of trumpets to get you to understand what it's referring to and then um, we're going to go over of course the the, uh, day of atonement too and what that represents First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, as describing in Revelation chapter 11, starting in verse 15. And the dead in Christ shall rise first, the time of the dead. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And notice this isn't say we're going to go right down back to earth. Okay. It says, and so we shall ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. All right. So that's what that represents. The Day of Atonement actually represents him landing on the Mount of Olives with us after we have visited the Father in heaven. That's another Bible study in itself. But anyway, let me go back here. Leviticus chapter 23. Okay, I've got about 36 minutes here. i got to speed up here. Leviticus chapter 23. Okay, in verse 25 it uh, talks about the festival of trumpets. Uh, you shall do no servile work therein, but you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. And, and, and the Lord has spoken to Moses, saying, on the, seventh, on the tenth day of the seventh month there shall be a day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation unto you, and you shall afflict your souls, and offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. That means that when you afflict your souls, Hebraically it means uh, no water, no food for 24 hours. Verse 28, and you shall do no work in that same day, for it is a day of atonement, to make an atonement for you before the Lord your God. And that's what Christ did. He made an atonement for us. He made an atonement for us. And, and, and uh, there's a chapter in the Bible that, that goes into detail, in Leviticus chapter 16, it goes into detail about the high priest going into the the, the, the most holy place. And that's rep- that represents uh, Yeshua doing that, and that's described in the book of Hebrews. Verse 29, for whosoever soul it be that shall not be afflicted in that day, he shall be cut off from among his people. Whosoever soul it be that doeth any work in that same day, the same soul will I destroy from among his people. You shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statue forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. It shall be unto you a Sabbath of rest, and you shall afflict your souls in the ninth day of the month at even, from even unto that you shall celebrate your Sabbath. Okay, so the Day of Atonement represents the time when Christ, Sets his foot on the Mount of Olives and begins to destroy all those who oppose him. That's what the Day of Atonement represents. It represents also the Jews finally waking up and realizing that, oh, this is our Messiah, which is revealed in Zechariah chapter 12, 13, and 14, if you care to read that. Okay, so... That's what the Day of Atonement represents. The the liberation in Leviticus chapter 25 goes into detail about that. The Jubilee, which he may come on the actual day of Jubilee, we don't know. The the, 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 the Jubilee happens at the Day of of, uh, Atonement. It's a day of liberty and freedom from oppression. So it's a real day of reflection. The time when he literally atones us, all of mankind, and brings peace on the earth. Okay, so, in verse 32, It shall be unto you a Shabbat of rest, and you shall afflict your souls in the ninth day of the month, at even, from even unto even shall you celebrate your Shabbat. Verse 33, And the Lord has spoken to Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of this month, shall be the Feast of Tabernacles, or Sukkot, seven days unto the Lord. On the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein. Seven days you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. On the eighth day, all these festivals, uh, he wants us to give. He wants us to give. He wants us to give. Verse 36, seven days you shall offer an offering by fire unto the Lord. On the eighth day shall be a holy convocation unto you, and you shall offer... An offering made by fire unto the Lord. It is a solemn assembly, and ye shall do no servile work therein. These are the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations to offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord, a burnt offering, and a meat offering, a sacrifice, and drink offerings, everything upon his day. Beside the Sabbaths of the Lord, and beside your gifts, and beside all your vows, and beside all your freewill offerings which you give unto the Lord. Also, in the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep a feast unto the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a Shabbat, on the eighth day shall be a Shabbat. And you shall take you on the first day the balls of goodly trees, branches of palm trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. And you shall keep it a feast unto the Lord seven days in the year. It shall be a statute forever in your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths seven days. All that are Israelites born shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel to dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And Moses declared unto the children of Israel the feast of the Lord. Now, what does the shakult re- represent? What is that symbolic of? Okay. Well, let's turn to First Corinthians chapter 15 to find out. I'm going to describe it in the simplest of ways. Now, the Day of Atonement, that's really symbolic of Christ landing his feet at the Mount of Olives, as revealed in Zechariah 14, and beginning to rule the world, literally, with his saints and the angels. And after that, begins Chakot, five more days, okay? And Chakot really is symbolic of what is called the millennium of the thousand years, that rule of Christ and the saints, and I'm going to show this to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 24 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Then come at the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. And that's what he's going to do. And he's talking about putting down all power and authority and power that's against the rule of God. That's what he's going to do during the millennium, the thousand years. Uh, The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. That's what this is all about, too, destroying death. Death causes sin. Sin causes death. He's going to destroy that. That's what this is all about. Uh, None of us should be dying. The whole creation shouldn't be dying in a state of decay. And the Messiah was created to put it into all that. Verse 27, For he had put all things under his feet, but when he said all things are put under him, it is manifested he has accepted which did put all things under him, which is saying the Father put all things under the Messiah, Jesus. Verse 28, And when all things shall be subdued unto him, even shall the Son also himself be subject unto him, that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. So this tells you that there's one God, okay? And God does consist of the Father and of the Word of God and their power, the Holy Spirit. But Yeshua understands his place. He understands that, hey, the Father is also his God. All right. So... And uh Revelation chapter um and you know, he sure is the word of God. He's not the almighty God, the Father, but he's the Word of God. That makes him God. Revelation, because he's a, a significant part of God. Revelation First Um, Revelation chapter 20 describes what the Festival of Tabernacles is all about. I'm going to read this uh, in verse 1 and this is part of the day of when Christ lands his feet on the Mount of Olives this is what's going to happen as well. uh, Revelation 20 verse 1 which is symbolic of the day of atonement. And I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand and he laid hold on the dragon that old serpent which is the devil and the Satan and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive or trick the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled and after that he must be loose a little season verse 4 and I saw thrones and they sat upon them and judgment was given unto them and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God which had not worshipped the beast neither his image neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands and they lived and reigned with Christ eight thousand years so that's Represents um, the festival of tabernacles. And there's one more day called the eighth day, Shemini Atzeret, which is the last great day. And that represents the great white throne judgment that is talked about here, where everyone is judged. And it also represents uh, Revelation chapter 21 a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. There are no sea. At this time, death is destroyed. There's no more death. Everyone is spirit. And those human beings that are created are going to be perfect and they won't sin and they're going to learn how to obey God and then they will be changed also into spirit beings when they are mature enough to do, uh, to be changed into spirit beings. So that's what that represents. The It's going to represent the Garden of Eden atmosphere that should have been continuous if Adam and Eve didn't sin. So everything will be reversed back into its original state. That's what the eighth day represents, that holy day, Shemini Aseret. Okay. Or the last great day. All right, so that's Leviticus chapter 23, and I think there's some other scriptures that we have to look at here. Yeah, all the way, okay, Leviticus chapter uh, 24. This last chapter here and it says, uh and the Lord spake unto Moses saying, Command the children of Israel that they bring into the, the poor the pure oil, olive beaten for the light, to cause the lamps to burn continually. And you know, Christ talked about our light, let our light burn continually. Uh that means our what we do and how we treat each other and and how we give to other people. the people. Light symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Verse 3, without the veil of the testimony and tabernacle of the congregation, shall Aaron order it from the evening until morning before the Lord continually. It shall be a statue forever in your generations. He shall order the lamps upon the pure candlesticks before the Lord continually. Now, the two witnesses are described as being candlesticks and lamps and lampstands. So this is symbolic of, of the two witnesses in the Bible that is spoken of in Revelation uh, chapter um, 11. And then also God describes his church as being a menorah. Verse 5, And thou shalt take fine flour and bake twelve cakes thereof. Two tenths shall be in one cake, and you shall set them in two rows, six in a row, upon the pure table before the Lord. And thou shalt um, put pure frankincense upon each row, that it may be on the bread for a memorial, even an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Every Shabbat he shall set it in order before the Lord continually, being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant. And it shall be Aaron's and his sons, and they shall eat it in the holy place, for it is most holy unto the offerings of the Lord made by fire for a perpetual statute. The twelve cakes are symbolic of the twelve tribes of Israel, folks. That's what the twelve cakes represent. Verse nine, and it shall be Aaron's and his sons, and they shall eat it in the holy place, for it is the most holy unto him of the offerings of the Lord made by fire by a perpetual statue. And the son of an Israelitish woman, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the children of Israel, and this son unto Israel, by his by this woman and man of Israel strove together in the camp. And the Israelite his woman's son blasphemed the name of the Lord and cursed. And they brought him into Moses, and his mother's name was Shemah uh Shil-O-Mith, the daughter of Dib of the tribe of Dan and they put him in a ward that the mind of the Lord might be showed them and the Lord spake unto Moses saying bring forth him that have cursed without the camp and let all that heard him lay their hands upon him and let all the congregation stone him again I have to be careful when I state these things <laughs> that was done at that time during when God was very close to people and that's his justice he does require people to die when they do certain things But we don't take it upon ourselves today to go stone somebody when we know they're sinning uh, or they're doing something against the law that God has commanded us in Revelation chapter 13 to obey as long as it doesn't violate His law. I'm Not Revelation, but Romans uh, chapter 13. We must adhere to the law of the land. Uh, The law of the land does not tell us that we should take upon ourselves stones and stone somebody when they commit a crime. On the other hand, it tells us to call 911 or the police uh, when you see something like that. So I just want to be very careful to put that disclaimer in there so anyone doesn't falsely accuse me of of preaching that we should uh, kill people because it was done in the Old Testament that way. Uh, We don't do it that way because we're not under God's rule like that. But in the future, it will be like that again and we need to um, understand that. So I had someone call in uh, one time and telling me, you know, uh, Romans 13 verse 1 says, you don't have to turn there. It says, uh, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God, the powers that be are ordained of God. And in verse 2, whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Okay, so God obviously has allowed the governments of this world to rule the way they do, and we must submit to them as long as they don't violate his principles. So anyway... All right, so um, verse 15, And thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, Whosoever curseth his God shall bear his sin. And he that blasphemeth the name of the Lord, he shall surely be put to death, and all the congregation shall certainly stone him as well. The stranger as he that is born in the land, when he blasphemeth the name of the Lord, shall be put to death. And he that killeth any man shall surely be put to death. So capital punishment, we have that today in our court systems. Uh, in God's opinion, as well as mine, <laughs> uh, it takes too long to, to eradicate or kill somebody when they obviously has committed a crime that everyone knows, uh, just like this one guy that shot uh, that that representative, uh, the congresswoman. Uh, he deserves to die. Everyone knows that. But why isn't he dead yet? I mean, I, people saw him. There's too many people saw what he did. So more than two, at least two witnesses. A whole lot of people saw him shoot people, and he's not dead yet. So, uh, but God commands us to kill anyone that does that. He says, "And he that killeth any man should surely be put to death." Now, of course, if someone kills someone accidentally, that's God allows uh, certain things of that man to escape, and uh, for the avenger, uh, once the avenger dies, or in that case, the high priest dies, and he can come back in. You know, but um, if God understands if you kill somebody accidentally; that that's not your fault. I mean, you didn't purposely try to kill somebody. Verse 18, and he that kill of a beast shall make it good, beast for beast. So he's saying even if you kill an animal, just kill him, just to be doing it, that you should replace that beast, you know. And he that kill of a beast shall make it good, beast for beast. And if a man cause of a blemish in his neighbor, as he hath done, so shall it be done to him. Breach for breach, eye for eye, two for two, but as he have caused a blemish in a man, so shall it be done to him. And he that kill of a beast, he shall restore it. And he that kill of a man, he shall be put to death. You shall have one manner of law as well for the stranger. And this goes against what people say, well, all the laws for the Jews, not according to what God says here. Uh, It says, uh, you shall have one manner of law as well for the stranger as one of your own country, for I am the Lord your God. Verse 23, And Moses spoke unto the children of Israel that they should bring forth him that had cursed out of the camp and stoned them with stones, and the children of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses. Okay, so that is that portion. And let's go to Ezekiel chapter 44, verses 15 to 31. Ezekiel 44. Okay, starting at verse 15. This is a prophecy. But the priests, the Levites, the sons of Zadok, that kept the charge of my sanctuary when the children of Israel went astray from me, they shall come nearer to me to minister unto me, and they shall stand before me to offer unto me the fat and blood, says the Lord God. Now remember, this is a prophecy. Ezekiel's a prophet. It's future history. The temple, despite what you may have been taught at your Sunday school and ministers and stuff on Sunday, um, will the sacrifices will be reinitiated again. They have not been done away. Uh, they have been suspended because there's no temple. But there will be a temple built, as Christ stated in Matthew 24, verse 15. For an abomination and a desolation to occur, there must be a temple. So there will be a temple, and Ezekiel agrees with that. Verse 16. They shall enter into my sanctuary, and they shall come near to my table to minister unto me, and they shall keep my charge. It shall come to pass that when they enter... And at the gates of the inner court, they shall be clothed with linen garments, and no wool shall come upon them. While they minister into the gates of the inner court and within, they shall have linen bonnets, bonnets rather, upon their heads, and shall have linen breeches upon their loins. And they shall not gird themselves with anything that causes sweat. And when they go forth into the other court and into the other quarters of the people, they shall put on their garments wherein they ministered, and lay them in the holy chambers. And they shall put on their garments, and they shall not sanctify. They shall not sanctify the people with their garments. Neither shall they shave their heads, nor suffer their locks to grow old. They shall only pull their heads, neither shall any priest drink wine when they enter into the inner court. Neither shall they take for their wives a widow, nor her that is put away, but they shall take maidens of the seed of the house of Israel, or a widow that had a priest before. And they shall teach my people the difference between the holy and profane. That's what a priest should be doing. That's what a teacher should be doing. They should be teach they should teach the people the difference between the holy and the profane. Not to say, well, you can do anything you want. And cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. Verse twenty four. And in controversy they shall stand in judgment, they shall judge it according to my judgment, and they shall keep my laws and my statutes and all my assemblies, and they shall hallow my Shabbat. And they shall come at no dead person to defile themselves but for father or for mother or for son or for daughter or for sister that have no husband they may defile themselves so for their families they can do it verse 20 and after he is cleansed they shall reckon unto him seven days and in the day that he go into the sanctuary to the inner court to minister in the sanctuary he shall offer his sin offering says the Lord God and it shall be unto them for an inheritance I am their inheritance, and ye shall give them no possession in Israel. I am their possession. They shall eat the meat offering and the sin offering and the trespass offering. Every dedicated thing in Israel shall be theirs. And the first of all, the first fruits of all things, and every oblation of all, of every sort of your oblation, shall be the priest. You shall also give unto the priest the first of your dough, that he may cause the blessing to rest in thine house. The priest shall not eat of anything that is dead, of itself, or torn, whether it be fowl or beast. So that's going to be done in the future, ladies and gentlemen. Now, let's look at what Christ has stated in reference to uh, what we've read today. in Matthew chapter 5, or to the uh, Renewed Covenant Scriptures. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. It's one of my favorite passages of Scriptures for those who think the law has been destroyed. Think not that I have come. He tells us not to think, but we think, don't we? Uh, a lot of Christians think this. I am come to destroy the law of the prophets. Now Moses, whether you realize it or not, was a prophet, folks. So he stated that he did not come to destroy Moses. Now are you going to believe his words which are in red here? Or or what you want to think and what ministers think? He says, I have not come to destroy, he said it two times in this passage, but to fulfill, meaning to Complete our understanding to help us to understand how to keep the law of Moses. The law of Moses is the law of God, folks. Verse 18, the reason why it's called the law of Moses is because God used Moses to give the law. Verse 18, for verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Verse 19, whosoever therefore shall break one of the least of the commandments, the least. And shall teach men so, he shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So God wants us to keep all the commandments to the best of our abilities. Of course, we can't kill a lamb today. We can't give a lamb to the priests in Jerusalem and have him sacrifice. We can't do that. That will be done in the future. What we do is spiritually uh, do the purpose of that, which is to give to people when we can't. All right, um, let's turn to another scripture, John 4, verse 22. John 4, verse 22. This is a very significant scripture, and I don't think people realize how significant it is, but he states here, Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman here, John 4, verse 22. You worship, ye know not. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Uh, You know, he was a Jew, and he said salvation is of the Jews. He didn't say salvation is of the Catholics, of the Protestants, of the Buddhists, of the Muslims, okay, of any other religion other than the Jews. Now, the Jew's religion is not perfect, but obviously for him to say salvation is of the Jews, he's giving Judaism an endorsement, folks. Now, in Romans chapter 3. Is even more endorsement from the Apostle Paul. Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 1. What advantage then has the Jew? <laughs> or what profit is there of the circumcision? In other words, someone being a Jew through uh, becoming a Jew, through the Jewish ritual that they have even today of pricking uh, a male's organ, you know, if they're not circumcised. I mean, if they are circumcised, and if they're not, they get circumcised and they become a Jew. So he's saying there's a prophet even to that. I mean, this is what the scriptures say here. Verse 2 much every way, chiefly, because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. Okay? So that's the reason why, you know, you have, I'm not giving any names, but you have folks think they know everything and they understand that the Jews have made some errors and they say the Talmud and, 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 and the Mishnah, all of it's bad. You know, don't even read it. Well, that's not true, folks. Not all the Talmud and not all of the Mishnah is bad. Sure, there are some things in there that's ridiculous. I agree. But there are some things in there that supports the Bible. Even Yeshua kept some of the oral law. It's proven in the New Testament. Okay, the oral law, for those who don't know what I'm talking about, are the Jewish traditions on how to keep the law. That was written down in a book called the Mishnah. That later, uh, through the Mishnah, Jews created what is called the Talmud, which is an interpretation of the Mishnah. There's some ridiculous things in the Mishnah and the Talmud, but there are some things that help you keep the law of God in there as well. Christ was against the traditions, as he revealed in Matthew chapter 15, the traditions that later became the Mishnah and the Talmud, that were against the law of God, that made the law of God an unaffect of your tradition. That's in Matthew chapter 15. He is not against the traditions that help you obey the commandments of God. Okay? So I just want to make that clarification. Um, and that's the reason why he said that there is profit in circumcision. And I know what he means by that. He means uh, of the Jewish traditions. All right? Verse 3. Now, now people say, well, they don't believe that Yeshua is the Messiah. Well, verse 3. For what if some did not believe? Which means that some there's some that do believe. Even today, there's over six hundred thousand, or close to that, anyway. Um, I know it's between two hundred to six hundred thousand worldwide that believe that Yeshua is the Messiah. Jews shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect. And then verse four: God forbid. Yes, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written. Thou, that thou mightest be justified in their sayings, and might overcome when thou art judged. So that's because Jews don't believe that Yeshua is the Messiah. It doesn't mean that they don't they don't have an advantage. And there's not any benefit toward their traditions that do not make the law of God of none effect. Okay? So let's let's understand that. Uh, John chapter 15, verse 10. John chapter 15, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I'm I'm just quoting that to you, to to reveal to you, quite simply, that Christ kept the holy days. He kept it all. He did it all. Okay? And let's turn to a couple of other scriptures here. 1 John 2, verses 3 to 6. And if we call ourselves believers, if we truly are believers, we will do what he did. 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 3, states, And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that says, I know him and keep not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. That's what God calls anyone who says that they believe him yet don't want to keep the holy days. Verse five. But whosoever keepeth his word in him, verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that says that he abides in him, ought himself also to walk, even as he walked. One of the things that Christ did when he walked, he walked into the synagogue every Shabbat, and and he preached, and and he kept the Shabbat as as was his custom. That that's found in Leviticus, not Leviticus but in Luke chapter four. Okay. So and then Luke chapter two reveals that his parents kept the, the festival of Passover, and they kept the other Jewish feasts, or not Jewish feasts, God's feasts. <laughs> so so you know, we, we must follow his example and walk and do what he did if we want to call ourselves believers, folks, all right? Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. states this, For who have known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We should have the mind of Christ. We should be thinking like Christ. Christ is a Jew, folks. So the the apostle Shaul, or Paul, is stating the fact that we should have the mind of Christ. And we should be thinking like him. And we should be thinking Jewish. Because he's a Jew. All right? Okay, uh, Hebrews 13, verse 8. For those who think that Christ has changed everything, and he hasn't. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, tells us plainly that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, and today, and forever. He's the same, folks. He's the same. And he's still celebrating the holy days today up in heaven. Uh, Ephesians 5, verse 1. These is, I hope you write these scriptures down, because these scriptures will disprove to anyone that the law is done away with. Ephesians 5, verse 1. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also have loved us, and have given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for his sweet-smelling Savior. So, we must imitate God. We know that Yeshua is the Word of God. <laughs> so it says you must imitate him. So how in the world can you argue about that, all right? Right. Galatians 2, verse 20. I did not say that the law is done away. My wife's telling me that I said that and she's falling asleep in front of me. But, no, I, I didn't say that. I, I, I If I did say it, I didn't mean that the law is not done away with. I'm saying that other people think that the law has been done away with. Okay. Um, Galatians 2, verse 2. Galatians 2, verse 2. I'm trying to find Galatians here. Here we go. Two, Galatians 2, verse 20. I'm sorry. Galatians 2, verse 20. It says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Now, keep in mind, I stated that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, if Christ is going to live in you spiritually, he's going to be doing the same thing that he did in the first century through you. Not exactly the same thing, but, the, you know, as far as keeping, wanting to keep the holy days. Wanting to keep, you know what I'm talking about. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And if he's going to be living in you, he's going to be having a desire to want to keep the holy days, just like he did in the first century, because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Okay? So that that's important to understand there. And First uh, Peter two, uh, last passage of Scripture here. First Peter chapter two verses five to ten. Well, it's not our last, but maybe our last. First Peter, close to being last. First, if I have enough time to quote another one. First Peter, chapter two, verse five, it says, "You also, as lively stones, are built." Up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. That's what we are. We are a holy priesthood, those true believers of God, uh, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay, and this is uh, scripture quoted in uh, the book of Isaiah, I think. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he that believe on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And the stone is stumbling, even a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, wherefore as they were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you shall show forth the praises of him who have called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. When in time past you were not a people, but are now the people of God which have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you, as strangers and pilgrims, to abstain from fleshy lusts which you war against the soul. So, anyway, that's what we are, folks. We are priests, or supposed to be priests, anyway. And Revelation chapter 1 it states plainly, verse 6, And have made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, and be glory and dominion forever and ever. So, we're supposed to be priests of God. That's our uh, destiny. If we obey God, we will serve uh, God and the Father as priests, as priests. And uh, that's the way it's going to be in the future. And in Revelation, uh, I read this scripture before, but I guess we can read it again. will be kings and will be priests. Verse 4, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given to them, and I saw the whole souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received a mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Verse 6, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection, On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. So that, that for all those who are struggling and having problems, we know, what? Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 1, verse 6, it says, He has made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. So that is the goal of a believer, is to become a king and priest and help and assist Jesus with ruling the entire universe. May God bless and keep you, and you have a pleasant day. Malachi chapter 4 For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch.